for this work. Since once it has been programmed properly, it will permute each letter in turn and print the result. What would have taken us 15,000 years, it will be able to do in 100 days. Dr. Wagner was scarcely conscious of the faint sounds from the Manhattan streets far below. He was in a different world, a world of natural, not man-made, mountains. High up in their remote areas, these monks have been patiently at work, generation after generation, compiling their lists of meaningless words. Was there any limit to the follies of mankind? Still, he must give no hint of his inner thoughts. The customer was always right. There's no doubt, replied the doctor, that we can modify the Mark V to print lists of this nature. I'm much more worried about the problem of installation and maintenance. Getting out to Tibet in these days is not going to be easy. We can arrange that. The components are small enough to travel by air. That is one reason why we chose your machine. If you can get them to India, we will provide transport from there. And you want to hire two of our engineers? Yes, for the three months that the project should occupy. I've no doubt that personnel can manage that, Dr. Wagner scribbled a note on his desk pad. There are just two other points. Before he could finish the sentence, the Lama had produced a small slip of paper. This is my certified credit balance at the Asiatic Bank. Thank you. It appears to be, uh, adequate. The second matter is so trivial that I hesitate to mention it. But it's surprising how often the obvious gets overlooked. What source of electrical energy have you? A diesel generator providing 50 kilowatts at 110 volts. It was installed about five years ago and is quite reliable. It's made life at the monastery much more comfortable. But of course it was really installed to provide power for the motors driving the prayer wheels. Of course, echoed Dr. Wagner. I should have thought of that. The view from the parapet was vertiginous, but in time one gets used to anything. After three months, George Hanley was not impressed by the 2,000-foot swoop into the abyss or the remote checkerboard of fields in the valley below. He was leaning against the wind-smooth stones and staring morosely at the distant mountains whose names he had never bothered to discover. This thought George, was the craziest thing that had ever happened to him. Project Shangri-La, some wit back at the labs, had christened it. For weeks now, the Mark V had been churning out acres of sheets covered with gibberish. Patiently, inexorably, the computer had been rearranging letters in all their possible combinations, exhausting each class before going on to the next. As the sheets had emerged from the electromatic typewriters, the monks had carefully cut them up and pasted them into enormous books. In another week, heaven be praised, they would have finished. Just what obscure calculations had convinced the monks that they needn't bother to go on to words of ten, twenty, or a hundred letters, George didn't know. One of his recurring nightmares was that there would be some change of plan, and that the High Lama whom they'd naturally called Sam Jaffe, though he didn't look a bit like him, 
would suddenly announce that the project would be extended to approximately A.D. 2060. They were quite capable of it. George heard the heavy wooden doors slam in the wind as Chuck came out onto the parapet beside him. As usual, Chuck was smoking one of the cigars that made him so popular with the monks, who, it seemed, were quite willing to embrace all the minor and most of the major pleasures of life. That was one thing in their favor. They might be crazy, but they weren't blue noses. Those frequent trips they took down to the village, for instance. Listen, George, said Chuck urgently. I've learned something that means trouble. What's wrong? Isn't the machine behaving? That was the worst contingency George could imagine. It might delay his return, and nothing could be more horrible. The way he felt now, even the sight of a TV commercial would seem like manna from heaven. At least it would be some link with home. No, it's nothing like that. Chuck settled himself on the parapet, which was unusual because normally he was scared of the drop. I've just found what all this is about. What do you mean? I thought we knew. Sure, we know what the monks are trying to do, but we didn't know why. It's the craziest thing. Tell me something new, growled George. But old Sam's just come clean with me. You know the way he drops in every afternoon to watch the sheets roll out. Well, this time he seemed rather excited, or at least as near as he'll ever get to it. When I told him that we were on the last cycle, he asked me, in that cute English accent of his, if I'd ever wondered what they were trying to do. I said, sure, and he told me. Go on, I'll buy it. Well, they believe that when they have listed all his names, and they reckon that there are about nine billion of them, God's purpose will be achieved. The human race will have finished what it was created to do, and there won't be any point in carrying on. Indeed, the very idea is something like blasphemy. Then what do they expect us to do? Commit suicide? There's no need for that. When the list's completed, God steps in and simply winds things up. Bingo! Oh, I get it. When we finish our job, it will be the end of the world. Chuck gave a nervous little laugh. That's just what I said to Sam. And do you know what happened? He looked at me in a very queer way, like I'd been stupid in class, and said, It's nothing as trivial as that. George thought this over for a moment. That's what I call taking the wide view, he said presently. What do you suppose we should do about it? I don't see that it makes the slightest difference to us. After all, we already knew that they were crazy. Yes, but don't you see what may happen? When the list's complete and the last trump doesn't blow, or whatever it is they expect, we may get the blame. It's our machine they've been using. I don't like the situation one little bit. I see said George slowly. You've got a point there. But this sort of thing's happened before, you know. When I was a kid down in Louisiana, we had a crackpot preacher 
who once said the world was going to end next Sunday. Hundreds of people believed him, even sold their homes. Yet, when nothing happened, they didn't turn nasty, as you'd expect. They just decided that he'd made a mistake in his calculations and went right on believing. I guess some of them still do. Well, this isn't Louisiana, in case you hadn't noticed. There are just two of us and hundreds of these monks. I like them, and I'll be sorry for old Sam when his life work backfires on him. But all the same, I wish I was somewhere else. I've been wishing that for weeks. But there's nothing we can do until the contract's finished and the transport arrives to fly us out. Of course, said Chuck thoughtfully, we could always try a bit of sabotage. Like hell we could. That would make things worse. Not the way I meant. Look at it like this. The machine will finish its run four days from now, on the present 20 hours a day basis. The transport calls in a week. Okay, then all we need to do is to find something that needs replacing during one of the overhaul periods. Something that will hold up the works for a couple of days. We'll fix it, of course, but not too quickly. If we time matters properly, we can be down at the airfield when the last name pops out of the register. They won't be able to catch us then. I don't like it, said George. It will be the first time I ever walked out on a job. Besides, it would make them suspicious. No, I'll sit tight and take what comes. I still don't like it, he said, seven days later.